welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to find the book of the Revelation, very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Uh, We have been walking through the book of the Revelation on Sunday nights for almost two years. And as you know, on Sunday mornings, we have walked through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah together. We finished up the book of Nehemiah last week. And on Sunday nights, as we have been journeying through the book of the Revelation, we came to Revelation chapter 20. And after some conversations with some godly folks here in our church, and through some prayer, I arrived at preaching Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, on a Sunday morning. And for those of you that maybe have missed some on Sunday nights, let me give you just a quick recap of where we are. As we arrive at Revelation chapter 20, we are going to read and reflect on one of the most serious, sobering texts in all of Scripture. So let me give you a quick review of how we got to Revelation 20. John, the Apostle John, is at the end of his life. Most believe he's in his 90s at this point. He is close to making his journey home. He has been exiled because he took a stand for Jesus Christ. He has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And while they're on the Isle of Patmos, the Lord appears to John. And he tells John to begin to write some things. He says, write that that you have seen, the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. And so John begins to record these things that Jesus reveals to him through these visions. In chapters two and three, we see the letters to the seven churches. And then in chapter four, regardless of what your eschatology is, we can disagree on this, but I happen to believe that chapter four is a picture of the rapture of the church. Heaven opens, and according to 1 Thessalonians chapter four, Jesus Christ is coming to the clouds, and the dead in Christ are gonna rise first. Their souls have already gone and their bodies are going to be reunited. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's called the great catching away of the rapture of the church. Now, if you disagree with me on my eschatological view and you have a different view, you're a amillennialist or a postmillennialist or a pre-wrath person, it doesn't change the fact that what we're getting ready to read in just a few moments is going to happen. But I believe after the rapture of the church, there's going to be seven years of tribulation here on earth. The Antichrist will step on the scene and he will calm things down for a period of time. And then in the second half of the tribulation, he'll demand to be worshiped. He'll demand that you take the mark of the beast in order to buy and to sell. Now, some of you are thinking this morning, well, if the rapture happens, I just won't take the mark of the beast and I'll be okay. 
I will suggest to you that you have the grace of God revealed to you and I believe you will be one of those who will believe the lie that God Almighty will send and according to the word of God, you will be damned. And so I wouldn't wait because I believe that the rapture is the next event on God's prophetic calendar. The tribulation will be here on earth. We as believers will be at what's called the Bema seat judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where we will give an account for our service, not for our sin. Now lean in and listen to me real quickly. I'm gonna to touch on this a couple of times. All sin will be dealt with. All sin from the beginning of time will be dealt with. For the believer, the sins of the believer were poured out on Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. He endured the wrath of Almighty God, drank the bitter cup that was given to him, and the sins were poured out on him. So for the believer, our sins were poured out on Jesus and our sins were dealt with. For the unbeliever, your sins will be poured out on you for all of eternity because all sin is dealt with. So we will stand at the Bema Seat Judgment where we'll give a account for our service. At the end of that seven-year tribulation period here on earth, man, Jesus is coming back. And we read about that, how Jesus is coming back on a white horse and we're coming back with him. And he's gonna come and he is going to rule with a rod of iron. He is going to destroy the nations that have come against him and come against the nation of Israel. And he is going to win the battle of Armageddon and we're going to be with him. He is going to ascend Father David's throne and he's going to rule on this earth for a thousand years. That's not fairy tale. But Jesus Christ himself in the flesh is going to dwell on this earth for a thousand years where he will rule and reign. Can you imagine? Won't be a Democrat anywhere, won't be a Republican anywhere, won't be an independent anywhere, won't be, there'll just be one. And it'll be right, amen? Cause he'll rule. At the end of that millennial reign, Satan's gonna be released for just a short season. And then ultimately he will be cast into the lake of fire. Following the punishment of Satan, we come to the text that we will read this morning. We are virtually at the end of time because in chapter 21, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And joy is going to fill the hearts of believers for all of eternity. But judgment awaits the unbeliever for all of eternity. Paul calls this the day of wrath. And what we will read is no fairy tale. It's no imaginary story. It is the final judgment. And before we stand and read, let me say this. For those of you that have been around Mount Pisgah for a while, you know that pastor is sometimes referred to as a hellfire brimstone preacher. 
I don't know that I'm a hellfire brimstone preacher, but I'm going to be this morning. And the reason I will be this morning is because that's what the text says. What we try to do here is exposit the text and just preach what the text says. And the text says there are going to be people that will stand before Jesus Christ one day in their unbelief and they will be cast into the lake of fire forever. I take no joy in saying that, but I'm just telling you what the truth of the word of God teaches. So this morning, if you leave thinking he's just a hellfire brimstone preacher, you got it right for the day. Amen. So let's stand together and read Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. If you're there, would you say amen? And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell were delivered up, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Heavenly Father, I do pray for that touch that does turn a mortal man into a messenger of the Almighty. Lord, I pray there'd be a stillness to this service this morning. Lord, you would sober us to the reality of what we just read. That there is coming a day when unbelievers will stand before you. So Lord, would you motivate those that are believers in a greater way than ever before to be busy telling the story of Jesus, sharing the good gospel. And then Lord, I pray you'd convict souls this morning that don't know their eternity. They're lost and undone without you. I pray, God, you would save them before it's everlasting too late. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As Americans, we are enamored with courtroom drama. For decades, we have watched television shows that are filled with courtroom drama. Consider the stream of TV shows that many of us have caught on an occasion. Now, I'm going to date some of you this morning, but if you recognize some of these, I want you to just let out a little bit of an amen, okay? We're going to see how old and how long you've been watching courtroom drama shows. All right, you ready? Perry Mason. That's the old folks, okay? Matlock. He came along about the time I was paying attention, right? I used to love how Matlock would just get them in the end, amen? Law and order. The People's Court, <laughs> Judge Wapner. And then Judge Judy came along, right? <laughs> I stand up here and preach about Jesus and won't get anybody to say anything. I say Judge Judy, I get, amen, preacher, amen. 
Aren't we mesmerized as a nation with the high stakes drama of a courtroom? Remember the O.J. Simpson trial? As a nation, we were mesmerized by that. The trial of Casey Anthony. And most recently, Alex Murdoch. How we were drawn into this courtroom drama. But what we just read is the ultimate courtroom. It'll be the trial of the ages. It'll be the day in court for everyone that has not been saved. And it's called the great white throne judgment. And every unbeliever will appear. Your date is on the docket. But the great news is today, you can settle out of court. I have a friend of mine that's a judge that had a bunch of cases that were going to be heard one day. And he said the way the courtroom was set up, all of the people that were negotiating out in the lobby, if they didn't get this negotiated, they had to come before the judge. And the first person that came before the judge was found guilty and he got arrested. And the way the courtroom was set up, he had to walk right. All of those people that were out there negotiating whether or not they were coming to the court. So the first guy walked out in handcuffs and he said, everybody after that settled out of court. <laughs> the good news is, is today you can settle out of court. You don't have to go to the great white throne judgment. For you can be saved by God's amazing grace today because today is the day of salvation according to the word of God. But if you're unsaved, what we just read and what we will preach is ahead for you. And so John gives us three simple truths. Number one, there's the scene in the courtroom. The scene in the courtroom. Most of you have likely been to a courtroom if you ever had to go to jury duty or something like that. Maybe there was a trial you were in the middle of, but if not, maybe you've seen one on television, but they're almost constructed to be a little bit intimidating, it seems. The high vaulted ceilings, the massive chandeliers, the atmosphere inside of a courtroom is always serious and silent. A door opens and a bailiff enters and he makes this statement, all rise. And the judge takes his place on the bench and when he does, court is in session. So go with me in your mind this morning to the greatest courtroom ever convened, to the greatest judge to ever be seated on a bench. It's the scene that John sees. There's a couple of things about this scene. Number one, it's a sacred place. John says in verse 11, and I saw a great white throne. Great speaks of its power. This is the highest court ever convened. It towers above any other court that has ever come together. And the verdict at this court will be final. There are no appeals. For this judge has the final say. 
I know we have a Supreme Court here in the United States of America, but I want you to know that at this court, this is the supremest court that there's ever been. It has great power. It's a great white throne. Great speaks of its power, white speaks of its purity. This throne is absolutely pure, holy, and righteous. And every ruling made by this judge will be absolutely just and true. It won't be like in our day where we've seen judges bought and paid for. This judge can't be bought off. And everyone that shows up there will have earned their way there. No one will appear at the great white throne judgment unjustly. And every decision that is made in this court will be correct. There's a sacred place. Secondly, there's a sovereign person. John says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. There's a sovereign person. Even more overwhelming than the place is the person that is seating, seated on the throne. You say, who is it that occupies this throne? Who is it that the unsaved will stand before one day? Who is it that will make this pronouncement of the ultimate verdict? Who, who is this? Well, we find the answer to that in John chapter five. Because in John chapter five and verse 22, the scripture tells us this, for the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto who? The son. It'll be Jesus Christ that sits on this throne. According to Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, when Peter was standing to preach, he says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed with devil. For God was with him and we are witnesses of all the things which he both did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Who's the man that will sit on this bench? Who is the man that will make every ruling and it be absolutely pure and just and final? It'll be the man named Jesus Christ who came, who walked this earth, who lived a sinless and a perfect life, who was then taken to the cross of Calvary and died in your place and in mine. They took him down, put him in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day up from the grave he arose and he's alive forevermore, seated at the right hand of the Father even now, making intercession for you and is soon returning. It's that Jesus that will sit on the throne. It's the one who comes to seek and to save that which is lost. It is the one who can change your eternity today. He's the man in the middle on that hill called Golgotha, and he's the one that so far you've rejected. And if you continue to reject him, you will stand face to face with Jesus. Remember the courtroom drama, if you will, when they arrested Jesus? And he went and stood before Pilate. And Jesus stands before Pilate. And Pilate says, do you not know who I am? For I have the power to execute you. I've got the power here. 
And Jesus looks at him and says, you don't have any power except my father gave you power. But Jesus stood before Pilate one day eye to eye. You know, there's coming a day when Pilate is going to stand before Jesus. Eye to eye. You that have rejected Jesus in this thing called salvation. You've rejected his grace and his love. Today, he stands before you. One day, you'll stand before him. There's the scene in the courtroom. Secondly, there's the summons to the Christless. It's going to be the Christless, the unsaved, that will appear at the great white throne. And no unsaved person will escape this judgment. Notice with me a couple of things, the scores of rejectors. Can you imagine the billions of people? Billions of people that will stand at this judgment. The Bible tells us that broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go on that broad road. The vast majority of people are headed to hell. Jesus said the narrow road is found by few. As it was in the days of Noah, many commentators believe there were millions of people on the earth in the days of Noah, and in the days of Noah, eight, eight were spared the judgment of God. The older I get, the more narrow the road seems to really be. But in evangelical America, we have convinced ourselves that we can pray a prayer, live a same hellious life we did before we said that prayer, and somehow because of that prayer we prayed, we're going to make it to heaven. I got news for you. When you get saved, you become a new creature. I didn't say you become perfect. But you become a new creature. All things are passed away. All things are new. You begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I didn't say you'd never have a bad thought again. But there's a hunger and a thirst inside of your soul for righteousness. You ask anybody in South Carolina, they're saved. Everybody in the South is saved. We've got popular evangelists that are hanging their hat on the number of people they have pray an empty prayer every single Sunday, and it makes me want to throw up. Just pray this prayer, live the same old rebellious life you've always lived, and somehow find yourself sliding into heaven by the hair of your chinny chin chin. That's just not the Bible. I'm not mad about it, because those guys are giving account for that mess one of these days. And the countless millions that they led in some prayer that never led to a changed life, 
Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Verse 12 says, John says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Scores of people will stand before him. The small, those are those that lived in relative obscurity. Your neighbor that never made much noise over there, that just goes about his daily routine, that's a good guy, just unsaved, he'll be here. That guy that works in the cubicle next to you that's pretty cool but has no regard for the things of God and you've never shared anything with him, he'll be here. A classmate that just lived a common old ordinary life but didn't care about the things of God, he'll be here. The small will be here. The great will be here. There'll be those who are considered great in their field that will show up at the great white throne judgment. Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin. Unless something happened in those guys' lives I'm unaware of, they'll find themselves there. And regardless of your social status, whether small or great, every unbeliever will find their way to the great white throne judgment. Every commentator suggests there's gonna be a few groups. I've, I've broken them into two groups as we think about these scores of Christless people that stand at the great white throne judgment. Number one, there's the rebellious. There, there are those who hate God. They want absolutely nothing to do with God. Those who would sit on a set of a TV show and make fun of people that pray. Those who would tell us that we have a mental illness if we somehow believe that the scriptures speak to us, that hate anything to do with God. You know where they'll be? The great white throne judgment. The atheist, although on this day, he'll no longer be an atheist because there'll be no atheist at the great white throne judgment because he'll believe that day. It'll just be too late. Religious cult members will be here. The followers of Muhammad will be here. By the way, this past week, I was having a conversation with another believer who made this statement to me. Well, pastor, let's not be so judgmental. Whether you're Muslim or Christian, we all worship the same God. I got news for you. That's not the truth. That's not even close to being the truth. Our God sent his son to die for us. Their God tells them to go kill somebody else so that they can live. In paradise. The followers of Buddha will be there. The followers of Joseph Smith will be there. Mormons don't serve the same God we serve either, by the way. I am in a Baptist church. Mormons don't serve the same God we serve, by the way. Y'all start coming on Wednesday night. I think I'm going to start doing some teaching on what these false religions believe. But I got news for you. Every person that has rejected the true God who is a Trinitarian God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Ghost, every rejecter of God will find themselves at the great white throne judgment. The rebellious will find themselves there, but the religious will also find themselves there. The self-righteous, those who thought they were good enough, treated people good enough. I didn't lie, cheat, steal. Man, I even, I even did my taxes correctly every year. I'm more moral than the average person. 
and somehow depending on their deeds to get them into heaven, they'll find themselves at the great white throne. The procrastinator will find him and herself at the great white throne. I tell you what I'm going to do, pastor. When I graduate high school, then I'm going to get saved and I'm going to start living for Jesus when I get to college. After I finish college, pastor, that's when I'm going to get saved. I, listen, that, college is kind of crazy. I, I'm just going to wait till after college and then I'm going to get saved. Look here, when I get married, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus and then everything will be good. Honey, I promise after we have kids, I'm going I'm, I'm to get saved after we have kids. And that day never comes for you. Jesus says today is the day of salvation. You'll put it off and put it off and put it off until you find yourself at the great white throne judgment. There'll be another group of people there that are religious. It'll be the lost church members. Names on a church roll. Likely been through the baptismal pool, maybe more than once. But you've got a profession without a possession. Religion without a relationship. The Lord on your lips, but not in your life. And there's two people that know that. You and him. You can fool the preacher. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your children. You can fool your grow group leader. You can fool the people you work with. But you won't fool Jesus. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into heaven. For many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and done many wonderful works? And he'll say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Ultimately, I believe there will be some at the great white throne judgment that we will be very surprised are there. There's going to be preachers at the great white throne judgment. There's going to be deacons at the great white throne judgment. There'll be grow group leaders at the great white throne judgment. There'll be people that served in their church and tithed to their church that will be at the great white throne judgment because none of that gets you in. It's repentance and faith in the finished work of Jesus. I think we'll be surprised at who is there some of us might be surprised at who ain't there. But rest assured, every single lost person will be there. You can blow up at me like a bullfrog and be angry that this is the passage for the day. But the truth is, for the Christ rejecter, this is where you'll stand. The scores of rejectors. Notice with me, secondly, the sources that will reveal. There's going to be some books that are going to be consulted. John talks about these books. It says in verse 12, And the books were opened, 
And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to what? According to their works. I believe the word of God will be one book that you'll be judged from. But there's also another book. Lean in and listen to your pastor here. That every single action that you have taken is recorded in. Every lustful thought, every dirty deed, every idle word, every single sin is recorded in that book. And you'll stand before God as he opens that book. And skeletons will come dancing out of the closets. Can you imagine? And after every word is written, that is written is reviewed, your actions will then be compared to the one who is perfect, who is the Lord Jesus, and you will be declared guilty. So the books will be open. You'll be judged according to your works. And then he says there's another book that's opened. That's the book of life. So, so after we've reviewed all of your works, not we, he, after he has reviewed all of your works, he's going to open another book. That is the book of life. Would you go there with me in your mind for just a moment? There will be those standing before Jesus Christ as he opens that book. your name will not appear in that book. Scores of people who will stand before God that when the book of life is opened, their name is not there. There's the scene in the courtroom, the summons to the Christless, but then their sentencing after the conviction. Look at verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let me give you three quick things. Number one, there is a singular determination. A singular determination. Do you know when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, the only thing that will matter is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's the only thing that will matter. There is a singular determination. Is your name there? There's a sure destination. He said, whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
brings me no joy to say that. But it's in the book. And it's absolutely true. So the question is this. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? If it is, there ought to be some kind of some kind of identification between you and the Spirit of God that lives inside of you that says, thank God my name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. I'm headed to heaven. When I leave this life, if the rapture happens, let's go. I got my rapture britches on, amen? Let's go. But is your name recorded in that Lamb's book of life? Because there's a singular determination. There's a sure destination. But there's a simple decision. We've made, we've made salvation complicated, but the truth is, Jesus says that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And there's a spiritual transaction that takes place at that moment. That Jesus comes to live on the inside of a believer. And when he comes to live on the inside of a believer, let me tell you, things change. You begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. As I said earlier, it doesn't mean you got it all perfect from here on out, amen? But it does mean that when you do, boy, there's a, there's a conviction that comes from the Lord and you get that confessed up and right with God. But the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of that sin is death. But I love Romans 5, 8 that says this, but God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, for the saved, I'm gonna go back to this one more time. For the saved, your sin's already been dealt with. It was poured out on Jesus at the cross of Calvary. He endured the wrath of an almighty God to pay the sin debt for you. So your sin's been dealt with, believer. Unbeliever, your sin will not go undealt with. It will be dealt with at the great white throne and you will be tossed into the lake of fire to endure the judgment of God upon you and, the, and your sins for all of eternity. So the only thing that matters is, is your name recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Now this should cause two reactions. For the saved, if we really believe this, if we really believe this, it ought to drive us to our knees that Jesus is soon returning and that is the fate of lost friends of ours that we interact with on a regular basis. And it's to drive us to our knees to pray and to be more vigilant in our witnessing to them and more vigilant in our evangelism efforts to reach the world and our neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it could be that during this invitation, saved person, you need to just find a spot in an altar 
You say, Lord, number one, I want to thank you that my name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And Lord, I want to be as diligent as I've ever been about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because what we just heard today is coming to pass and I want to see old Bob saved. I want to see old Johnny saved. I want to see Sarah saved. I want to see whomever God's put on your heart to see saved by his amazing grace. Why don't you come and spend some time talking to the Lord about them and then go tell them about Jesus. That's the response it should create for the believer. For the unbeliever, Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And this morning, he's put his finger right on your heart and he's revealed to you your lost condition. And he's revealed to you this morning that you are lost and undone and what we just read about, you're going to be there. Unless there comes a time in your life that you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus. You say repentance, man, that sounds like a Bible word. Well, it is, but it's pretty simple. It just says that right now I'm living my own life and I'm in charge and I'm calling all the shots and I'm going in the direction that I want to go. Repentance just means having a change of mind and a change of direction. It means I ain't in charge anymore of my life. I've surrendered the lordship of my life to Jesus Christ, that he's in charge of my life now. Now, do I mess it up sometimes? Oh, you better believe it. But Jesus Christ now walks with me and he talks with me. So I've just repented and changed direction. And then I've put my faith and trust in him. Lord, it ain't up to me anymore. It's on you. <laughs> you got it. Now live your life through me as I yield to you. One final question. Is your name written and recorded in the Lamb's book of life? It's the only thing that matters. If the answer to that is no. In just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As we stand to our feet, if you don't know your final destination, you don't know your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, or you know it's not recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, we're going to stand to our feet. And when we do, there's going to be some people across the front here. We'll have pastors here at the front. Pastor Robert will be here. Pastor Mason, Pastor Hayden, Pastor Colin. We'll have some ladies up here at the front. If you need to talk to somebody about your eternity, we would love an opportunity to take the Word of God and show you how you can leave today knowing that you've been saved by God's grace and your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Any questions about what you're supposed to do if you're unsaved and God's dealing with you? You just walk forward, put your hand in mine in one of these counselors and say, I need to be saved. Secondly, there ought to be some believers that find a spot in an altar. Beg God to forgive us for not being more evangelistic in our efforts. And then pray God give us one more day to go share the good news of Jesus with a lost and dying world. As we stand to our feet, we're going to have a song of invitation. If you've got a decision you need to make, you come. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.